The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 364 for May 26th, 2013. Sprint announces its first tri-band LTE products, the Samsung Galaxy S4 gets some prepaid love, and Evernote adds reminders. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, before we jump into the news this week, we want to talk about an issue uh, that has surfaced for both of us over the weekend here, and uh, we were just talking about it for... Oh, a good uh, 25 minutes or so, and uh, just a pretty annoying thing, and that is the fact that uh, both of us use Gmail fairly regularly for not only personal, but also business uh, email here. We get the the uh, cell phone junkie emails all come through a Google Apps account, and so we get all of those sent through there. And the issue that we're seeing is that on iOS devices, devices that are using the Gmail, uh, app, the, the Gmail protocol of Exchange, uh, or exchange through the Gmail service, rather, the emails are not coming through to our devices properly. And what I mean by that is not only are we not getting push notifications for the emails through Exchange, we are n- unable in certain instances to not even get the emails uh, at all by doing a manual refresh. It takes multiple times through a refresh to sometimes make emails come through to the devices. Now, uh, not an issue on the desktop. Uh, I use the desktop client Sparrow, uh, and I have no problems there getting messages from both accounts coming through. We've got no issues with email coming through through the access on the Gmail website. We've got no issues with access uh, through the applications, the separate applications such as Gmail and even Mailbox, uh, the one that uh, we, we use here from time to time for Gmail here on the iOS devices. So it appears that there's, uh, we knew that they were getting rid of uh, exchange uh, access from the from the the new accounts that were being set up and also new devices that were being set up but we never I guess I never thought I guess maybe it was just an inevitability but I never thought that it would actually just stop working like it has uh, over this past weekend here and so uh, ultimately here uh, it may be time to uh, to move on here because it is extremely frustrating well, and even still, you know, they said they're going to keep, uh, you know, existing devices running. And obviously the, the priority on keeping the service running properly is, is, is not there. I have been getting uh, push emails from another Google Apps account I have through our university. That has been working today, uh, at least on my iPhone. I don't actually know about my iPad now I think about it. I don't think it is. It's actually supposed to be, and I should have seen all those notifications on there now that you mention it. So uh, Push seems to be working on my iPhone for, for some reason, but not the iPad. So uh, it's obviously some sort of spottiness that they've got going on, and it's not consistently broken for everyone. But it, it you know, basically... Uh, they won't keep people forever if they keep their iPhone running on this uh, MS Exchange protocol. So it's you know time to uh, look at alternatives, probably. Well, and unfortunately, you know, for for a lot of us, this was ultimately going to have to change because it was a device that was set up right. Uh, you know, right before this happened, uh, or or many months before it happened, it, it would still work, and, and most people wouldn't uh, figure it out until um, you, you know when they changed and went to get a new device, and they weren't able to set it up that way. But just doing a, a search on Twitter as an example for Exchange Gmail, uh, it shows my uh, tweet here, which was from a couple hours ago. But then I'm looking at a whole a whole list of them here. Someone said, uh, you know, Gmail Exchange is significantly delayed on the iPhone using native Gmail app for notifications. 
Someone else says, why isn't Gmail working with MS Exchange anymore? Uh, a number of other languages as well. And uh, unfortunately, it's just it, it's just so frustrating here. Our friends over at iMore are experiencing the same thing. And in, in to Joey's point, he's got it working on one device, but not the other. Uh, it's working on neither for me. So for I'm just relying right now on the, the Gmail and Mailbox apps uh, to get my notifications. So, you know, it's one of these things. And of course, we're talking about kind of a narrow subset here where you're using the native uh, Apple mail client to get Gmail as exchange. So that, I mean, if you're using the app, you won't even notice the difference if, if that's all, if that's the only way you do it. Or if you don't use push and you use, you know, the manually fetch or you get the every hour, every half hours, and then you're still not affected either. Well, for the most part, and it's, uh, it, it's kind of limited, but you know, it's, it, it, it is one of these things where if you're really, really tied to Gmail, this does become kind of frustrating if this is what you're used to. And uh, to, to give just a recommendation here, uh, I, I had sent out a note, I said, like I said earlier, on Twitter, and um, Weird Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong, excuse me, on uh, Twitter responded and said Office 365 has worked well. Freeoutlook.com and Easy Access, also you can attach custom domains to it, which is another interesting thing. Something that I'll probably look into, you know, I've got a Gmail address and that's all fine and good, but, you know, ultimately something that's a little bit more custom to me is uh, is very appealing. I know, Joey, that's, that's something that you like as well. So, you know, if we can get it set up uh, easily through Outlook.com, that may be our answer here. Absolutely. Uh, it'd take a little more research. But yeah, I've I've used for the past, oh, I don't know, 14 years, my own domain name for my email to uh, to limit things like this from happening where you get tied into one particular address. And then if you have to move or change or the service goes south, you know, it's uh, one of these things. And, you know, with Gmail, I mean, you, you get what you pay for. I mean, you can't call them up and complain because you're not paying anything and they have no place to even call up to. So it's, uh, you know, sometimes it, you know, you, you do get what you pay for. It, it's interesting, right? Because we, we talk about these services like they're infallible or at, at the very least, you know, very reliable. And and to that point, you know, certainly Gmail is still working just fine uh, as a service. It's just this one particular uh, feature. And of course, as Joey mentions, a very small subset of people that may be even noticing that this is a problem. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think it's, it's going to become bigger as more and more people are figuring out uh, w- what is happening here. But uh, to that point, uh, I, I'm certainly feeling a little uh, discouraged by, by Google these days with the, the 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 cutoff of google reader coming up here in uh in just what do we add a month or so that's coming in july 1st so that'll be coming very quickly we'll we'll have to figure out the the uh the solution for that for reading news so that's that's almost here and of course this this issue here with potentially ios devices no longer or any device for that matter getting push notifications over um uh, for your email and whatnot over the exchange protocol and then of course Google Voice, which is something that we've long extolled the virtues of. It's something that I've been using at the a Google Voice number since back when it was in the Grand Central days. And uh, I, I do like the concept of it and whatnot, but very little as far as resources and, uh, you know, making sure that the service is, is uh, constantly updated. I'm not even sure what that means other than you still can't send and receive MMS messages with it or group text messages with it. Uh, these are all things that uh, are overcome if you are a Sprint user and you've, you've got your Google Voice number integrated if you're with Sprint. But uh, ultimately, it's still an issue. And I really, you know, I, I was doing some searching on that this week because it's starting to become 
a problem for me. And I'm, I'm again, I did some searching for it and it was like two years ago when they first came out with the, the sprint integration and they said, okay, if you're a sprint customer now you can, you can do this. But, uh, it, it, again, we're going on, I don't know how many years the service has been around five, six, seven years, I suppose. And you still can't get your MMS through it. And I'm sure there's some technical limitations to it, but come on, we're, we've had a long enough time here for them to figure this out. Exactly. I mean, they should just be able to email it to you. And, you know, there's also things, you know, like we've, like I mentioned earlier, the iPad version of Google, they do not have that where you can type the SMS, you know, easily on the the keyboard. I mean, how long would it take for them to actually create an iPad version of the, the app? Uh, there's other things that haven't changed, you know, like even the, the interface of the Google Voice app is still clumsy at best. The website, it never refreshes when you get new text messages and you have to sit there and manually do it. Uh, you know, just just things that have not changed for years. And it's uh, it's it's it, it's becoming obvious that they're not going to fix it up. And it's just going to be one of these things that they're going to just end up dropping, because at this point now, this many years, it does seem pretty obvious that it's. Uh, no resources are going towards it and they haven't either figured out how to monetize it or aren't going to. And the fact that it's, it's, you know, a possibility is starting to make me nervous. And I realize that we, we haven't started, you know, we haven't heard rumors of that or anything, and I'm not insinuating anything, but just the, the, you know, now that we've seen the track record here of, okay, we've got Gmail accessible over the exchange protocol and that is all fine and good. And we're just moving along and everyone's happy with it. And all of a sudden, nope. It's going to be cut off unless you are someone who has got a paid Google account, which I, from what I hear, some people that actually have paid accounts are having issues with this as well, uh, or a, an apps user, uh, which I think you have to be a paid apps user for that matter. You don't, you don't get this service. Uh, okay, fine. So that, that's annoying. Okay, well, everyone's using Google Reader, millions of people using it, ah, but there's not enough interest, so we're cutting it off. Okay, well, that's really annoying because this, this is probably the second most important thing that I use uh, you know, on my, all my devices is a, a newsreader application so and then of course uh, we still do make phone calls and if there's even the remotest possibility I think it's time to to consider figuring out something else for that as well I'm just I'm way down on Google today and that's why I wanted to uh, to start off the show talking about it and it, for me it, it would be frustrating to lose Google voice I mean I'm, they'll probably have the ability to port your number out uh, if it ever comes to that or if they you know switch it over to a paid service or sell it off I mean I, I would imagine that some company would want to buy it out instead of them just shutting it down you know so who could monetize it and kind of you know run with it but I don't know I mean I'm not sure uh, what will happen with that we may just be kind of uh, over you know being too dramatic here but you know there's always there's always that risk. Oh, I'm absolutely being dramatic, and I'm fine with the fact that I'm being dramatic. It's just something that's that's frustrating for me. And again, I it's just it's a bad day for me in, in Googleville. So anyway, but I just wanted to just throw that out there that uh, you know if if nothing else, this is gonna you're gonna probably see it pop up on some sites this week and in, in what's going on in the the tech world. If if this doesn't get fixed, uh, of course, being Memorial Day week, we probably won't hear much about it until uh, midweek. But either way, uh, still annoying and uh, not much we can do about it except for wait and see. First in the news this week, the U.S. Supreme Court voted with the FCC on Monday regarding the process for approving, modifying, or installing new cell tower locations. Complaints by carriers that local governments are often slowing down the process was met by an FCC recommendation that local jurisdictions act on amendments to existing towers within three months and on new towers within five months. The Supreme Court voted 6-3 in the FCC's favor. Samsung on Wednesday confirming that it has made $48 million worth of investments 
and competitor Pantech that gives them a 10% ownership in that company. In a statement, Samsung said the investment is aimed at solidifying its relationship with Pantech, who is a key component customer of Samsung. Samsung said it will have no involvement in Pantech's business management in any way. AT&T on Monday clarified in a statement their stance regarding the use of pre-installed versus third-party applications to conduct video chats. This comes after it was discovered last week that the new Google Hangouts application cannot conduct two-way video chats over AT&T's cellular network. According to AT&T, for video chat apps that come preloaded on devices, we currently give all OS and device makers the ability for those apps to work over cellular for our customers who are on mobile share and tiered plans. Apple, Samsung, and BlackBerry have chosen to enable this for their preloaded video chat apps. That includes FaceTime, ChatOn, and BlackBerry Messenger. However, Google Hangouts, which replaces Google Talk, technically qualifies as a preloaded app, and Google has not sought to enable Hangouts over cellular with AT&T. Throughout the second half of this year, they plan to enable preloaded video chat apps over cellular for all customers, though, and AT&T says regardless of the data plan for your device, this work is expected to be completed by the end of the year. Now, this seems bizarre and silly, but I do understand there could be some reason for this. You know, if I if I go to FaceTime, for example, you couldn't do that over cellular for a long time. And a good reason for that is because the cellular connection is usually not good enough to actually hold a FaceTime call. And it's a terrible experience. Obviously, times have changed now quite a bit where it's okay and it works fine now. And they've had a chance to probably optimize it for the lower bandwidth. But uh, you would think that Google Talk would be optimized similarly where they could have it. So I, I guess I can understand why AT&T allows the, the, the app provider to actually you know, make that call. No pun intended. Right. Yeah, I suppose. You know, in a, again, you know, third-party apps, we've got Skype, Viber, Kick, uh, others. Those are available to download and use. You can conduct your video chats over cellular with no problem. There, there's really very little uh, issue there. And I think they, you know, that was one of the things where we knew, you know, before they, the FaceTime over cellular thing was available, that uh, the stuff was all technically possible. People have been doing it with Skype for, for a while now here. So it's, th- there's ways to do it. And there's ways, to, obviously, to, to get around it with these other services that are out there but certainly if you're someone who's doing a lot of google hangouts that could be uh, annoying to say the least AT&T this month has added a new administration fee to their monthly bills for customers. The fee amounts to $0.61 per customer per month, which when calculated across AT&T's entire customer base base, amounts to about $500 million in extra revenue per year for the company. An AT&T spokesperson told the Wall Street Journal that the fee is less than that is charged by its competitors. Yeah, so not a lot of money here. We're talking, what, six, seven bucks a year is all, but uh, nonetheless, it's, you know, almost just aggravating to think about just how much of a, a cash uh, infusion this is going to be for them when, uh, you know, obviously they have 100 million uh, customers. So anyway, very interesting, though, that uh, they decided to roll that out uh, this week. AT&T on Friday said its GoPhone customers can now access its HSPA Plus and 4G LTE data networks. The announcement means that owners of devices such as the iPhone 5 will get full speed network access. GoPhone customers that already have an HSPA Plus or LTE capable equipment will receive an over-the-air update that enables HSPA Plus and LTE. LTE network access on June 12th. GoPhone customers will have to be on a $25, $50, or $65 monthly plan in order to access the faster data speeds. 
Verizon this week used CTIA as its platform to announce plans for small cell deployment on its LTE network in select areas beginning the second half of this year. Verizon says small cells are a balanced approach to network capacity, and they'll be deployed in areas where capacity is constrained due to high concentrations of users, such as shopping malls and business districts. Verizon will use small cell equipment from Ericsson and Alcatel-Lucent. Verizon's 4G LTE network already covers 95% of its existing 3G footprint in 497 markets. The Wall Street Journal this week reported that Verizon has begun selling location data generated by its customers to third-party companies. Details being shared include locations, travels, demographics, and web browsing habits. The data is anonymized, so it can't be identified to individual customers, and is packaged in groups of customers rather than by individual person. The data, which is compiled by a company called Precision Media Insights, is sold to organizations such as governments, malls, billboard owners, and stadiums, which they can then use to gain a better understanding of how people who frequent their businesses and how and what they're actually doing in which area in which they live verizon offers a subscriber opt-out via verizon's website information about government and corporate clients is not shared the journal says that at&t is looking to do a similar deal where they'll be selling customer location data as well because I've recently changed uh, from Sprint to Verizon for the business accounts, and I did actually dig through their website trying to find how to opt out, and I could not find it. So I kind of assume that it wasn't uh, applying to corporate customers uh, like it does for the personal. And yeah, if you do have a Verizon account, I would encourage you to go look that uh, page up to opt out of the about like a dozen different things that they're selling your data for. So it's uh, pretty interesting what they're doing. Yeah, I, I've done that as well. I went in and, and I and not only you know opting out from things, but also blocking other services. That's something else that that's really nice and easy to do on Verizon site. Absolutely, and I can do that on the the corporate side as well. Is uh you know premium text messages. You, you don't get those uh you know ten dollar or fifteen dollar a month things that just get slammed onto your account because they send you a text message. Uh, and then yeah, a bunch of other things as well. It is pretty convenient to be able to do it online. And and obviously, if you're someone who is you know concerned or just you know wants uh, to get more information about it, go log into your account, check it out. Tons of different options and information available on Verizon's website. Verizon on Thursday announcing a new company called Viva Movil, created to address the Latino population in the U.S. The company was founded by Jennifer Lopez, who serves as its chief marketing officer. Viva Movil is a partnership between Bright Star Solutions and Moorhead Communications and will use social networking and online commerce to connect with the Latino population. The company will sell Verizon phones and tablets on Verizon's network with Verizon service plans. The stores will be designed in a way that they are appealing to the Latino community and all staff will be bilingual. The first Viva Mobile retail store will open on June 15th in New York City. Other stores in markets such as LA and Miami will open throughout the year. Sprint on Tuesday announcing plans to offer a trio of tri-band LTE products later this summer. The three devices include the Novatel Wireless MiFi 500, the Netgear Zing Mobile Hotspot, and the Netgear 341 USB modem. All three devices will be able to access LTE in the 800, 1900, and 2.5 gigahertz bands. Currently, Sprint is deploying LTE in the 1900 megahertz band. We'll, be- we'll begin deploying LTE in the 800 megahertz band starting later this year following the shutdown of its IDEN network on June 30th. Sprint has officially launched LTE in 88 markets, but it will says it will cover 170 markets in the coming months. The 2.5 gigahertz spectrum is currently owned by Clearwire, and Sprint says it will eventually be used to offer high-speed service in densely populated regions. No word if or when tri-band smartphones will hit the market. 
Clearwire's board of directors on Wednesday approved an increased bid from Sprint in the amount of $2.5 billion. The addition of the $500 million to the initial $2 billion bid uh, was done to appease investors unhappy with the original offer. So, you know, this LTE thing is frustrating. You know, they've actually been, we, we've been talking about these, you know, basically these three different frequency bands for Sprint for a long time now. And they don't even have smartphones being sold yet. And this stuff, you know, one of them's already going to be launching later this year. Clearwire's going to be doing it. Uh, this is not good. They should have these, you know, tri-band devices already being sold to uh, consumers. Because if it's a year out, you're going to have these devices for two years. It's already time to get these things going here. I mean, as usual, Sprint uh, is kind of goofing around. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately going to, to take a while here. And, and as Joy points out, uh, you're not going to be able to use these devices that we're buying today uh, to, uh, you know, with the, these newer frequencies. And, uh, you know, certainly we think that um, the Clearwire buyout um, is going to occur, um, you know, and obviously we saw this, this up here this week of the bid. And so I think that's obviously going to happen. And it's going to be important that they take advantage of the ability to use that spectrum because the more people that are, you know, start using the devices and, you know, especially in, you know, densely populated areas, this is where we always see these issues you know, come up, they're going to want to have that additional spectrum. So uh, long story short here, we're going to come out with some some devices here very soon, but they're all on the hotspot and, uh, you know, USB dongle side, no smartphones just yet. On to some device news. Actually, one more story here in news this week. Cricket on Wednesday revealed plans for LTE roaming on the 1700 and 1900 megahertz bands. The latter, known as band 25, is being used by Sprint, while the former, known as band 4, used by multiple carriers, including T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon. The Samsung Galaxy S4 will be the first device offered to take advantage of the roaming support. Now on to devices. A new report from Digitimes this week suggests that the next iPad will be between 25 and 33% lighter than the fourth generation model and will go on sale starting in September. The reduction would mean an overall weight of around one pound. Now, this is definitely needed. Uh, I still notice a difference between my iPad 4 and the iPad 2 that I came from. It's still that extra little bit of weight. Uh, I mean, it's not much, but it's still noticeable to me and uh, it needs to be lightened up. I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I was in this week looking at the iPad mini again, not because I was looking to buy one, but just, you know, to you know get my hands on another one and just check it out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go through these phases where I think it's fine. I think it's too heavy. I think it's whatever. Uh, I found a, a good deal this week on a, a very, very thin case for the iPad and it's a it's a, a folio style uh, so it's you know leather wrapped around the back and it's got a cover that does the the magnetic uh, thing with it just like the smart covers do and should have that this week but uh, I've been using kind of a generic leather one for basically since the, the the day I or well maybe a couple of weeks after I got the the iPad 3 and uh, so I just I'm, I'm kind of weighing my options here uh, you know no pun intended there of trying to make this device a little bit slimmer a little bit lighter and, and whatnot so uh, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes but it was it was just a cheapy case, like five bucks. So we'll see how that how that works. Yeah, and I still have just the vinyl skin on the back of my iPad, and that does really help keep its uh, you know bulk down. But it's uh, it's one of these things where yeah, the iPad uh, four, it, it and the iPad three were kind of I don't know that they, they were kind of strange devices. They're a little bit off for Apple, you know how they normally make things smaller and lighter and kind of better. This it, it it wasn't really that. I mean, they're definitely better with the Retina display. I mean, obviously that kind of blows everything away, and that's why they're bigger and heavier. But it's uh, it's kind of time to uh, now kind of shrink it down a little bit. 
I'm, uh, you know, the one reason that I've kind of just stuck with this one is because it doesn't really it, having a lightning connection was was interesting, but not really, you know, didn't make that big of a deal. And, and the addition of the other LTE bands really did nothing for me. So I was just absolutely fine keeping this one. And I honestly, you know, still like the fact that I can use the the 30 pin connector that I have uh, in all the cables and accessories and stuff that that use it to charge it. I still am able to do all that. And uh, so I'm, I'm happy with with just sticking with this one for right now. But I would imagine with a full redesign. I'll absolutely be considering, you know, going in and, uh, and and making a change there, just because it's it's so much lighter, and that that is the, and that would be intriguing to me. And for me, I don't know if that would be enough for, to get me to spend the money on another iPad right now, because this one's only from November, so I'd probably wait another year, maybe another model, unless they really did something with the audio. If they added stereo speakers and made it louder, then I would actually consider, because I do use a lot of uh, you know streaming media on this thing, and, and I would like some better sound, and, and that could be enough to justify uh, getting a device that is lighter, and of course, probably better in other, other ways. Yeah, and that, that is the other part of it, too. Is what is it going to mean for, uh, you know, processor speeds, more memory, uh, you know, with the new operating system is certainly going to, you know, probably put some additional uh, taxing on those resources. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, it's it's you know what I have right now or what you have are bad devices, because certainly that's not the case. In fact, they're still selling the iPad 2s. There's so many. I still see a lot of first generation iPads out there. I've got a coworker who uses one every day and just it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't need to upgrade. It works just fine. Wow, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and of course, the iPad mini, which they're selling truckloads of, that's an iPad 2. I mean, mm-hmm. the internals are 100% identical to iPad 2. So, it, yeah, exactly. It's, they're still selling them, and they, they're, they're going to have to support them for quite some time in the future. So Yeah, there's no reason that they would, uh, that they would try and sell uh, a device like the iPad mini with the same internals as the iPad 2 if they knew that there was going to be an issue with them coming up in, in the future. Because that's just absolutely, you cannot isolate customers that have purchased something within the last couple of months. That just, they, Apple knows better they wouldn't do that. Well, maybe they would. Hopefully they won't do that. Next up, Kyocera on Tuesday announcing the Hydro Edge and the Hydro Extreme. That's XTRM, affordable Android phones that are fully waterproof. The new models will both have a dual-core Snapdragon Qualcomm S4 Plus processors, 4-inch displays, 5-megapixel cameras, and Android 4.1. Other specs include 1 gig of RAM, 4 gigs of built-in storage, and a memory card slot. Look for the devices on Sprint, Boost Mobile, and U.S. Sailor. Sprint on Tuesday announcing that Boost Mobile and Virgin Mobile US will both offer the Samsung Galaxy S3 beginning in June. Both models will include support for Sprint's LTE 4G network, though pricing and availability were not shared. That's kind of interesting offering the S3. Yeah, it's uh, it, you know it's an older device, but uh, certainly I think it's still you know in many regards these are the you know these are the the, the the or was the device for the last year that of course was you know the Android device of choice for so many people and the fact that we've got a new device coming out now it's it's okay to to offer this one to the prepaid markets and I think that's great for uh, you know just it, it, in general uh, to have that option there because it is it, the price is going to come down here a little bit it's still a very solid device they were just talking about you know on, on the Apple side and buying something that's hardware that's you know one generation old versus you know getting the the newest thing and, and absolutely it's going to make a, it's going to it's going to be a great device uh and and i have no no issues with them you know offering that there no and what what is interesting is that uh how much we've got, gotten modern on the prepaid side for smartphones i mean you can get an iphone 5 on on virgin you can get an iphone 4 you can get you know an s3 you can get modern smartphones on prepaid and for 
for many years there was no smartphones and then when they did offer one they were just low 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 end android phones so it's it is really neat to be able to see these kind of options uh coming to the prepaid side yeah now all of that said if you are looking for the latest and you're looking for prepaid cricket wireless this week announcing sales of the galaxy s4 and that will begin on june 7th it will be six hundred dollars it'll be a financing option as well with a sixty dollar down payment followed by monthly payments so uh certainly there there is an option there but again six hundred bucks uh it's if you're looking to save a little bit of money you know going with that latest hardware is is you know kind of a tough pill to swallow there especially right up front so uh you're either doing that and then or you're paying uh sixty dollars down and then monthly payments that are going to jack the price back up to uh, you know what it would cost on on one of the tier one networks so there you go in the software news this week, iOS email management application Mailbox was updated to version 1.3. It is now a universal application, meaning it has iPad support. The app offers the same functionality as the iPhone version, adding a reading pane on the side of the screen, to the right side that is. Mailbox is a free app, uh, free to download, free to use, but only supports Gmail accounts at this time. Evernote for the iPhone, iPad, and Mac were all updated this week, adding a reminder feature long requested by many users. Users can now tap a small alarm clock icon as uh, to add a reminder to any note, which will then pin those notes at the top of their list in the new reminder section. Due dates can then be added to those reminders, and users can choose whether they want to receive notifications from the app itself via email or both. Notes can be marked as done by hitting the check mark on the left when you are finished, Updates are available now. This is a, a great feature here. I've, I've really gotten heavily into using Evernote. In fact, over the last two months, I've probably doubled the number of notes that I've actually put in here, whether it's just scanning documents to have them accessible for searching or, uh, you know, I, I did some backup type of stuff and, and it was really great to be able to pull in some of this stuff into Evernote and, and make it so searchable. And it's 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 kind of like a, um, you know, an OCR uh, application for kind of your, your brain, if you will. And um it's really nice to have. I've been just, like I said, using it the heck out of it. Uh, in fact, I, I have the Evernote Moleskin Notebook, which is a, a notebook that uh, that works directly with Evernote. And it's something that um, I've had and I've been using it for a while, but I, I didn't need to take advantage of. And, and what I'm getting at here is there's with the notebook, you get three months of the premium subscription that come for free with it. So I do have the premium service now. In fact, uh, over the last, I think I activated it on a Monday and I've already used 75 megs of, uh, of, of use with it here over the first uh, whatever it was, eight days or something. And so um, it's 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 actually very it's very nice. But what happens with the notebook then is it comes with all sorts of interesting features, including uh, the ability to use the the scanning feature, of course, to digitize all the written notes that you make. But then it comes with little stickers that they call smart tags, and you can take those and put them on a page, and then take a picture of that page, and then it automatically adds the tag or puts it in a specific folder that you want. So there's a lot of ways to kind of automate your notes, and and this is actually uh, I've got a lot of new stuff going on in my life, uh, in my you know business life, and what. Not so. This has actually been extremely helpful. And uh, check them out. They come in either a, a smaller version, which is like a three by five notebook, or like a five and a half by eight inch notebook. I think it is. Uh, and they're twenty five and thirty dollars respectively. They've got a sale on shipping right now this weekend as well. So pretty neat feature here. And I was very excited to see that now we can start tagging stuff for uh, reminders here. And so I've been tagging the heck out of my notes here and reminding me for uh, for follow up in the future. Yeah, I've been uh, getting more and more Endeavor Note, but just slowly. I haven't jumped all totally in yet. I'm still using uh, Outlook Notes, but uh, it's definitely the the power blows that away. I just 
just literally haven't had the time to invest to 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 migrate over. I will tell you this: if you start using it, uh, you will see immediately the benefit of using it. However, it won't be it, it won't be a life changing thing until you start really using it more and more and more. And like I said, the more the, I th- this is the best way I heard it put: the more you use it, the more beneficial and the more you come to rely on it. Uh, and you can, I mean, it's really easy to just create, you know, sections. I think they call them bunches or stacks. They call them stacks. So you you make a stack and then you put all these notebooks underneath it, and then you can just add stuff in there. But it's everything from, you know, when I'm reading through stuff on Google Reader, starring a story and having Google Reader pull that in or having Evernote pull that in and save it in Evernote. Uh, or uh, I've got a lot of automation things going on in the background. So different pictures, if I'm tagged on something on a social media site, it'll automatically pull that picture in for me so I don't have to deal with it to, uh, like I said, scanning of notes. I, I do a lot of uh, clipping on the web uh, of articles and stories and stuff like that. So Joey, I, I encourage you to keep, you know, continue to use it because like I said, the more you use it, the better it gets. Yeah, I've been using the web clipping actually quite a bit this uh, past few weeks because there's been, uh, you know, articles I've been researching and I just want to hold on to those because, you know, if you grab a hyperlink or bookmark that site, it's gone by the time you go back to it, you know, like blog posts, you know, they're they're always changing servers and they're always doing this and it's, uh, you know, technical references and, you know, something, it, it not only records what I did, uh, to, to, to the server to the make the changes that I did, but it also then keeps track of it. So I, if I ever need to do it again or on a different server or something like that, I've got the reference. There's a lot of uh, interesting things too. You can take pictures directly from the Evernote app, which is nice. I, I like to do that for, for various things because not only does it, taking a picture of something is obviously helpful for future, uh, you know, future reference for things. But, uh, you know, if you've got it in just your, your photo camera roll on your phone, how often are you actually going back in there to look at it? Whereas doing it through the Evernote app obviously uploads it to Evernote and then you can tag it. Uh, it grabs all the geolocation information with it as well uh, as, you know, the time and, and all this the stuff that is just incredibly helpful um you know that that i just i, I kind of like i kind of dig how that uh, all goes in there so anyway uh long story short i use evernote uh evernote got updated this week and i'm happy about it verizon on thursday made verizon cloud its backup and storage service available to the apple iphone verizon cloud lets customers sync their smartphones and tablets to verizon servers available as a free download through the app store it offers 500 megabytes of storage at no cost and up to 125 gigabytes of storage for 10 bucks a month verizon says its free option should be enough to back up settings calls messages and contacts verizon cloud was made available to android devices last month other software news yahoo on monday releasing a revised version of its Flickr application for google's android platform the new app brings changes made to the ios Flickr application late last year the new ui provides for a better view of photos and the photos are available in higher resolutions users can take photos from within the application itself and edit or geotag them and in addition to the new app as well yahoo has announced that all Flickr users both free and paid will have access to one terabyte of online storage for free now, uh, if you uh, if you are a, a user that needs more than one terabyte, which that is a lot of pictures, but if you do, there is, a, I think, a two terabyte option as well that you can purchase if you want to get in on that. Twitter on Wednesday announcing the addition of a two-step authentication of its sign-in process. The process requires that users add a mobile phone number to their account. When enabled, Twitter will send an SMS to that number with a code that must be entered in addition to the username and password in order to gain access to the Twitter account. The code will be sent each time the person logs in via the web, but is not required for subsequent sign-ins through Twitter applications. The new feature is, of course, optional. 
In questions and comments this week, first one is a comment from Tim. He said, I heard you guys discussing straight talk carriers on the show last week. It is confusing for sure. If you buy a smartphone from straight talk directly, you will be using Sprint's network. If you bring your own, you are limited to T-Mobile's network, but they recently stopped offering what they used to offer, both AT&T and T-Mobile's network, so you can only get the T-Mobile SIM now. And the only way that you would use Verizon's network, though, is if you opt to buy a non-smartphone from them. So there you go. Non-smartphones Verizon, smartphone Sprint, bring your own device is T-Mobile. So thanks, Tim, for that clarification. That really helps out uh, clarify what is going on with uh, Straight Talk. And I think they have one smartphone on Verizon's network, because if you look at their site, they've got one particular phone that shows the coverage map of Verizon's coverage map. But I can't remember what particular model phone it is. So that it is really a strange site. I mean, and, and they used to actually uh, have them uh, broken down by G and C for CDMA versus GSM, but now they don't anymore. So it's it's tough. Yeah, that is a little tough. I think there's, you know, obviously there's some great benefits to it. Straight Talk, probably one of the best deals in wireless if you're looking to get unlimited voice and, and, and text. And obviously, I think it's two gigs of data is what you get. Uh, it's a good deal. Uh, very good uh, option there. And it's the LG Optimus Zip is the one that has the big coverage map on it, whereas all the other ones don't, even all right, including we, the iPhones. Okay, so you buy an iPhone from them and you get uh, you get Sprint, I guess? I, I have no idea. Well, we Probably. did talk about that last week, right? Because we looked it up and we yeah, saw that... we were thinking it was... Because I thought it was Verizon, so maybe it is Sprint. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not real clear. It really isn't at all. And of course, if you want a T-Mobile iPhone and you... Uh, or if you want an iPhone, but you want to bring your own, uh, you're going to have to use T-Mobile. So just uh, some things to consider there. Uh, again, thanks, Tim, for uh, your clarifications there. Next is a question from Patrick. He says, great show. My question is for the HTC First. It's the only current phone that is a relatively small, i.e. 4.3 inch screen with a high pixel density of 342 pixels per inch. I like it a lot. I'm thinking of getting one. It sells on eBay brand new for a little over $200, not to, be, not to mention if I turn off Facebook Home, I get stock Android. But AT&T drops the price, rumored to be discounting it. Is there something wrong with this device? Uh, you know, also at this point, Google seems to be staying at version 4 and pushing updates at the Play Store, making version upgrades 4.2 and even future 4.3 less relevant. Do it. Uh, do we think it's a good buy? Uh, is HT is uh, with HTC in trouble? What are the chances of it getting an update? Your thoughts are appreciated. Well, uh, Patrick, it's hard, it's hard to say on this one. Um, again, the the whole AT and T discontinuing it is a rumor at this point. Uh, that has not been confirmed yet, but certainly I, I've I've read that as well. Uh, as far as the upgrades to it here, you know, obviously using uh, ice cream sandwich on it is 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 fine. I think there's uh, you know if you're going to be going with this device, just like any other device, just know what you're getting into and be okay with the operating system that it ships with. Don't expect it to get upgraded in the future. Exactly. It may or may not, but uh, just, you know, don't really count on it being updated and you'll be fine. You know, it's, and, and ice cream sandwich is fine. It's, it's kind of the, the, the modern architecture. It's not jelly bean, but it should actually last you a good few years. So it's, it's, um, it, it'll be fine. And it is a good buy at that price. I mean, it really is. And also something that's uh, yeah, small at 4.3. It's, you know, something that's actually kind of hard to come by. Yeah. And that is to, to Joey's point. It's uh, it is a good buy at 200 bucks. How could it not be a good buy of $200 uh, with no contract is, is good for, you know, for just about anything, even the heavily subsidized, um, you know, the Nexus de- line of devices. I mean, we're talking about $300 for that. So, uh, you know, either way, it's uh, it's a, I think it's a good option for you. And, uh, you know, take a look at it and, you know, hopefully it'll work out for you. Um, you know, a good size. Absolutely. Totally agree with you there. 
Next one, a question from Rick. He says, Mickey and Joey, I just discovered your show a few weeks ago and I'm now subscribed. Question about Android screen resolution and scaling. For comparison purposes, a Samsung Galaxy Express and the Motorola Atrix HD. Both have 4.5 inch screens, but the Express has a low 800 by 480 resolution screen. The Atrix has a high 1280 by 720 resolution display. Of course, the Express with the low resolution will not show sharp text and images, but will apps look the same in terms of spacing, size, and icon button icons and buttons? And will the apps automatically figure out the proper screen size and resolution and display the correct size touch targets? Thanks, Rick. Yes, they will. Uh, it just won't look as sharp. And uh, it, it's kind of a personal preference. Of course, I'd recommend going with the high resolution if you can, uh, you know, money wise and uh, maybe battery life wise. Sometimes that becomes an issue because it's going to take a lot more power to actually drive that higher resolution screen. But uh, your eyes will thank you for it. Yeah, it's a it's a good uh, it's it's a good thing about software and and applications is that they can adjust uh, you know for for these different sizes and and to make the apps work properly. Of course, though, you know we do see occasional uh, you know bifurcation of uh, you know certain applications where it, they only work on on certain devices, but that's that's more on what the developers decided to do uh, with those particular apps. And finally, this week, a question from Kyle. He says, "Mickey and Joey, Happy Memorial Day." Uh, share a story from this weekend. I was traveling through the Martinsburg, West Virginia area, and I got to experience service through two carriers at the same time on my iPhone. It's one of the few unique areas where Verizon only has an LTE network deployed, so I'm connected to the Verizon LTE for data, and my voice service says I'm relying on 1x roaming from U.S. Cellular. I confirmed this by dialing a random string of numbers so that I got an error message identifying that USCC couldn't complete the call as dialed. On the phone, it displays extended LTE. I find it fascinating that the carriers have the technical ability to do such a thing. In your travels, though, have you come across one of these particular areas? And, and personally, no, I have not. And this is fascinating here. And like I said, he did send over a screenshot and showed that uh, you know he was indeed using a extended LTE and did a speed test and saw some uh, pretty good speeds there in the downstream. So absolutely, it, it is working like that. And that is that is pretty interesting. And I saw something weird on my iPhone the other day. It had uh, it had signal strength. It had LTE up, but the Verizon logo was gone. Really? So there's uh, there there's something obviously going on there with you know. Well, but it didn't say roaming though. Nope, so. didn't say roaming. And I still had LTE service, and it, it did work. I did, I actually confirmed I had data, but there was just no Verizon. The Verizon was gone. I'm like, okay probably a tower uh, malfunction or uh, you know with the the software they're not sending out the you know that uh, piece of information to the device cuz clearly it was working just fine so very very interesting there if you have any questions or comments for us you can send them to questions at the cellphonejunkie.com we won't get them pushed to our devices because iOS not pushing those messages <laughs> via exchange however we will get them and we will uh, answer your questions or comments on a future show if you'd like to call us and leave us a voicemail you can do so at 206-203-3734 and we will play those on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cellphonejunkie.com <laughs>